So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And again, he entered a synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved, grieved at the hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Let's, uh, before we dive into the word, let's take a moment to pray uh, this morning. And Homer, would you, before we start this morning, would you lead us in a prayer? We all do things in different ways. So I've, I've got a very deep theological question for you to consider this morning. David, if you would, go to the next slide. How do you make a grilled cheese sandwich? No, seriously. Who in here makes a really good grill, grilled cheese sandwich? Anybody? Oh. Homer, how do you make a grilled cheese sandwich? Butter the bread first. Okay. Oh, yeah. About a medium heat. Right. You don't want it burned unlike your burger. Like a burger burn, grilled cheese, no. Okay. Somebody else who makes a really good grilled cheese sandwich. Anybody, you don't make your grilled cheese sandwich, but you ask somebody to make your grilled cheese because you can't do that. All right. Teenagers in the room. Um, we thought, we thought before I ask somebody else, cause I'm going to ask a few more of you how you make your grilled cheese sandwich, if it's different from the way Homer does. But we were at like, I think a Target or somewhere and they had like on clearance a grilled cheese pan, but it was so small that we found out later why it was on clearance because you can't get a spatula in there to flip it over. It's like if you want to grill one side cheese sandwich, because I was I was gone somewhere and I was like, how did this? How did it work? And Jack was like, no, it just didn't. No. So, so Jack makes a grilled cheese sandwich by sending a text message. Hey, would you make me a grilled cheese sandwich or two? Um, which is fine. Somebody else, how do you make a grilled cheese sandwich? Anybody want to share? I'm not going to criticize. You have your wife, yeah. Zane has Blanche make it. What do you do, Nicole? Ah, there you go. Okay. Oh, you have a grilled cheese maker. There you go. Jenny? Don't leave off the miracle whip. You know, my, my, my dad, don't boo her. It's how she makes a grilled cheese sandwich. My dad would say the first step to making a grilled cheese sandwich is getting out a piece of bologna taking off the plastic ribbon on the outside, slicing the edges of it, because if you've ever tried to fry bologna, you have to slice the edges. So he would do that. That's step one. And then you do kind of like what Homer says, but you put that you put that in there so it's really melting the, the cheese. I used to do that with ham. I would put ham in mine. I, I toast my bread. I actually would put the bread in the toaster, for kind of like what you're talking about, Nicole, so it gets like really crunchy. On the inside. And then, I know some of y'all are thinking, ooh, I'm going to try that at home. And then I butter both sides of the bread. It's a very big mess because it's all over my hands. You know, that's why you have a dog. Hey, here you go. Anyways, um, 
after you're done making the grilled cheese. Anyway, so so you get it and you get in there and that thing is like crunchy. I mean, it's like potato chip crunchy by the time you're done. Pretty good, isn't it, Jack? Except when I get distracted and it comes out like one of Homer's burgers that he likes to eat where it's really well done. Um, but usually when that happens, I like give it to Jack on the plate where it's like the burnt side is down that he doesn't see. It's like, oh, dad, this looks great. I'm like, don't flip it over. Um, we, we do it differently. We do. There's no wrong way to make a grilled cheese sandwich. There might be some suspect ways involving mayonnaise, but there's no wrong way. Just kidding, Jenny. Is it pretty? I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it maybe one day when I get brave enough. Miracle Whip. Oh, you got a salad dressing. Oh, yeah. You, do you do it before or after? So I want to, I want to hear the process. I want to hear this process. And you put the butter on top. You put the butter on top. Is it good, Stan? Yeah, see? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it later. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, bud. So Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling. If you look in Mark chapter 2, they're walking beside the sea. And you're like, what does this have to do with it? It'll make sense in a moment. Chapter 2, verse 13 says, And they went out beside the sea, and a crowd was coming to him. Verse 14, it says, And he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, or Matthew, that's who it also is, sitting by or at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. So here's this guy. And it's a, it's a regular day. And he's at his tax booth. And the, and the best thing we can equate this to, it's kind of like a toll booth. When you're going from one region to the next. And these tax collectors, some of them would sit in these booths. And when you would come to another region, you'd have to kind of pay the tax or just a little bitty toll to go into that spot. It's how these guys made money. Because if the, if the tax was, let's say if the tax was supposed to be 50 cents, these guys would say it was a dollar. Okay, so they'd make a little bit of extra. That's how these tax collectors cheated people. And there were other ways that they did it too, but here he is and he's sitting in a booth and it's along the road. So more likely, the best way for us to say it, it's sort of like a a toll booth as they're going by. Jesus says to him, follow me, which wasn't just an invitation to believe. And there may have been a chance that Levi already knew who Jesus was. Probably maybe even heard about him, but this becomes that, that call, that invitation to full-time discipleship. Brian and I were, were talking about this. There's, there's people in the Bible who believe in Jesus who don't go into full-time discipleship. Some of them want to. The madman in, at, at the garrisons who's running around in the amongst the tombstones and they keep trying to tie him down and he keeps getting free from the chains and the ropes and all that guy. He, he pleaded to go with Jesus and Jesus said, no, stay where you're at. Stay here. And it says that guy just went out and he just went out and told everybody about Jesus. And there were some that he said, follow me. It's like, it's like the fishermen. They're there at the shore and he says, follow me. And they, they just, they leave it. Now there's, there's a difference though between a fisherman and a tax collector as far as their vocation because for a fisherman, they can go back to fishing. It's, they, they just gotta go get back in a boat, get a net. And go back to fishing, but this tax collector, for him to follow Jesus, he leaves everything. But man, 
he really leaves everything in a way like nobody else. And it, it actually sheds a little light on the story of Zacchaeus when, when you read what he does, because just like Zacchaeus invites Jesus into, or Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' home, says, Hey, I'm, I'm coming to your house today. Um, Matthew or Levi throws a party. And, and if anything, it's not just a party. Hey, meet Jesus. It's really his, Hey, I'm not a tax collector anymore celebration. And while he's sitting there, while he's sitting there with Jesus and all these people around him, and really the language of the passage doesn't really make it out to be that Levi is the host. All the focus of this event at the at this spot in Mark chapter 2, it's all on Jesus. It says, And the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat? with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus begins it. He sort of begins what in the next few little instances in Mark are really this focus of sometimes we focus so much on our ourselves and what we think should be happening or how we should make our own grilled cheese sandwich or how everybody else should make their grilled cheese sandwich. Or let's put it this way. Sometimes we get focused on how everybody else should be expressing their faith or living out their faith. Rather than doing what Paul says, let each of us work out our salvation in fear and trembling. But instead, these guys are like, why is he doing something that we wouldn't do? That's essentially what the scribes and the Pharisees are saying. Why is he doing something that we would not do? And they didn't ask Jesus. They asked his disciples, but Jesus being Jesus, he's going to answer them. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And that's where it begins. That's question number one. Why does he eat with tax collectors sinners? The next instance that happens, now we're not told if these happen just right away or if Mark kind of lumps them all together where they really sort of make sense. But the next thing that Mark writes down is there's this, there's this time, there's this period where the, the John's disciples and Pharisees are fasting. So, I want to kind of ask you to do something as we look at the next few instances. Think about a guy like Levi or Matthew, who's an outsider. Now, there's probably a lot of us in here who've grown up in church, or we've been around church, and we 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 have this church, we have this faith that goes all the way down to when we were this big. I'm that way, and I I don't remember many Sundays outside of church as a child. I don't. But imagine this person who's on the outside, who's considered, can't even be categorized with sinners who don't follow the law. They're in a whole other category, which is what tax collectors are and sinners. So imagine Matthew being thrust into this environment and he's learning what it means to know and follow God as he's following Jesus, his teacher, his rabbi. He's following along beginning to understand and realize that this guy is the promised Messiah. Here he is. And some people come up with a question about fasting. You remember when you were, you were a new believer and you had all these questions? Well, well, what's this? People are talking about this. I don't know what this is. Some people come to him and say, okay, how come your disciples, question two, are, are, go ahead, Dave, go to the next one, are, are not fasting? John's disciples are fasting. The, the, the disciples of the Pharisees, which is kind of a funny thing to think about. But there were people who wanted to be just like the Pharisees, so they, 
had disciples. There were people who were following their lead. So there's people who are following John or fasting. Well, John had been arrested by this point. So it's easy to understand why those guys are fasting. Then there's the, the Pharisees who had their bi-weekly fasts that were in addition to what Scripture required. It's not even required in the Old Testament, the, the, the fasting that they were doing. Now, does Jesus ever point out and say in this passage, if you've ever read this passage, Jesus even point out that what they're doing is wrong? Absolutely not. But they just point at Jesus and his, his disciples says, how come your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Imagine being at a, a wedding reception and not eating. Can you imagine being at a celebration for a wedding? You're there and the food's all there, but you decide I'm not going to eat. I'm going to fast. I'm going to be in mourning. No. And Jesus is saying, listen, the days will come when the bridegroom, he's talking about himself, is taken away from them. And they will fast in that day. No one sews a, a piece of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment. I had to ask my mother one time what this meant. She said, well, it's really easy. She goes, that that unshrunk piece, if you were to make a patch out of it and then wash it and it shrinks, it will tear. It'll, it'll actually defeat the purpose of what you're trying to do. I'm like, oh. It's actually... Going in the opposite direction is what Jesus is saying. They're not doing anything. My disciples aren't doing anything wrong, guys. But these people had set up this whole idea that what they were doing was 100% right. And because somebody else was doing something different, it was wrong. Now, there was nothing wrong with their fasting. Don't get me wrong. And Jesus never says, you guys shouldn't fast. If anything, he's probably, you know, hey, that's great. You guys are fasting. Awesome. My disciples aren't. It's all good. Don't worry about it. But that's the spot that they're in. Why your disciples do not fast? Why aren't, why aren't they doing what we're all doing? And it kind of confuses it. Let's go to that third question. You're wondering, wow, we're going through these questions fast. It'll make sense. So there comes another moment. And of all days, you go from fasting to eating. We're on the Sabbath. Now, I love it when the Bible does that stand, by the way. When you, when you kind of sit back and you go, okay, that's kind of funny, God. That, 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 the Holy Spirit lined it up in that. If you ever notice, we've just talked about not eating. Now we're talking about eating. And they're still going to raise a question that maybe Jesus and his disciples are doing something wrong. It says, one Sabbath, he was walking or going through a grain field. As they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Completely allowed in the Pentateuch. Completely allowed in the Law of Moses. There's 39 things that you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath, according to them. They all have to do with either preparing food, uh, fixing a garment, or building something. But walking through a field, if you're a little bit hungry just to take a little bit of a grain or like a little piece of an ear of corn off just to eat to stave off hunger, completely allowed. But yet they make an issue out of it. Because they took clay, they took God's law and then made their own law to explain it and then they made their own law elevated above what God said. They they claimed the source is why they were doing it, but 
they would go back to their writing that was separated from God's law. And that's what they were doing. They were, they were setting up this whole idea that, well, this is how we think you should do it, so you should do it our way. It's like putting, saying you're doing it wrong, you're not putting mayonnaise on it, which I love that you said that, and I really want to try that, and I think, not mayonnaise, I'm sorry, Miracle Whip. I'm going to sneak it into Jack's next grilled cheese. It's just going to happen. Of course, he's going to be now like looking up under the bread like he does when we get a cheeseburger somewhere. Like, is there something extra on here I don't want? I'm going to make you try it, Jack. Just be ready. You're going to. Yeah, he just nodded. He will, he'll probably like it knowing him. Um, but here they go. Here they go again and look is what they said. Look at verse 24. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Which they were doing something completely lawful. They could even walk as far as they were walking. They weren't carrying anything. They were just going from one place to the next. Completely allowed. They weren't hauling anything. Yet they began to make, trying to find, have you ever seen somebody just try to find fault? Like they are just in a bad mood. And Janice called me this morning Reverend Moody. Not as in like Dr. Moody, but as in, you never know if I'm in a good mood or a grumpy mood. or whatever. You're kind of moody. And I said, well, I'm in a good mood today. So, Reverend Moody. You ever seen somebody get in just a bad mood and they're just determined to find something wrong? I was on a camp board one time and we got a letter from a, from a church about the reasons why they will probably maybe never bring their kids back to camp. They were there the next year. Um, in addition to the music that was played, Outside while kids were playing sports that had a drum beat in the background. Um, as one of the reasons why. Totally Christian music. And I, I felt personal because they were my CDs. But you know what? Um, they were, some of the, the boys were playing sports at a time where the girls could watch them play sports. That was one of the things on the list. Um, there were a few other deals. But the one that got me that stands out, and it still stands out to this day. I'm sitting there in in the camp office in Conway, Arkansas. And, and I'll never forget. And Bob goes, oh, yeah, and here's the last one. We, we had corn dogs with jalapenos in them. Not lawful to eat corn dogs with jalapenos in them. I'm like, that's just somebody looking for something to complain, because I'll be honest with you. I'm not a fan of a corn dog, but the corn dogs with jalapenos in them, they were, it was like cornbread wrapped around a ballpark. It was awesome. It was good. And they compl- I'm like, they complained about that? That was the best part of camp. And he's like, I know. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> Why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? Sometimes you just find people who are just trying to find blame. And we got to make sure we don't get into that mode. And that's what they're in. Their second question, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They were completely off base. And Jesus gives them a beautiful, beautiful example. In the temple, there were 12 loaves of bread which were freshly baked and set out every day. And then at the end of the day, at, at sundown, they were given to the priests. Well, there's this occasion in the Old Testament. And Jesus brings it up. He says, have you never read what David did? When he was in, and notice this word, need, and was hungry, he and those who were with him how he entered the house of God and in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful, which actually was forbidden 
for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, listen, you're, you're, you're confusing it. You're, you're really putting the cart in front of the horse, as we would say. You're making this day a day of really work. Because if you read what they had to do and had to take care of to get there, it was more work to prepare for Sabbath their way than what the Sabbath was really meant to be. The Sabbath was meant to be a day where they could sit back and rest. It was a gift from God. And the, the best example of, of how it was a gift is, is in the case of manna. If you remember in the Old Testament when they're, when they're following Moses through the, uh, really following God as they're following Moses through the wilderness, in the morning they would go out and there would be these grain type of flakes on the ground and they would take them, they would grind them, they would make them into bread. But they were commanded, don't store any of them for the next day. Why? They would rot and be full of worms. Except for one day. Which is a miracle. Any day on Monday, if you kept it till Tuesday, full of worms. Kept it till Wednesday, full of worms. Kept it till th- kept it over for Thursday, full of worms. Kept it over for Friday, full of worms. Hey, d- put the bread away. What are you doing? <laughs> That's not manna. It's not manna. Don't worry about. It. Uh, I'm just kidding with you. I know what you were trying to be disruptive. No, I'm just kidding, Linda. Um, but if they they were told on Friday, on the day before their Sabbath, gather enough for the next day. Now, every other day would have worms in it by the next morning, but guess what on the Sabbath? No worms. And of one day a week, there would be no manna on the ground. So, which is really kind of interesting too to think about it. They were watching and witnessing a miracle all the time. They began to take it for granted so much that they were witnessing it. But that was it. It was a day that God was like, even listen, hey, I'll, I'll hold off all the, the grossness and the worms for one day, and I won't let it drop for one day, so, so that you'll remember the next time, go and gather it and, it, and it's there the next day. So that's one less thing for you to have to do. The Sabbath is meant to be a day for, for them. It's, it, it's a gift provided for us where we don't have to work. We shouldn't feel like we have to. I think even now in our day and age, there's so many people who feel like they have to work. I think if we were to really sit down and look at it, maybe God sustains us more through our Sabbath than we think. That what we have stretches a little bit more to cover that one day that we don't work, to stop and to focus upon Him. It was made for us. It's all about Him, but it's made for us. But you know what they decided to do? They started to say, no, this is, this is for him. We do the Sabbath stuff for him. And Jesus is like, no, you got it all backwards. God wanted this for you. This is for you. You're missing out on so much of it because you think you're doing good. But you're really, you're running yourself ragged and you don't have to. You're condemning, you're putting people down where you don't have to do it. Quit working. If, if anything, the Pharisees were really guilty of working because they probably spent their, their Sabbaths walking around making sure oh, somebody else not breaking the Sabbath. Are they breaking the Sabbath? That's stressful. Anybody ever like decide you're going to save some time by speeding? Speeding is not a relaxing thing to do. Because you spend the whole time like this. 
Zerkop, 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 Zerkop. It's like my dog outside. Is there squirrels? There squirrels? There squirrels? 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 He's like that. But that's how we, I mean, they do that and that's what the Pharisees were doing. Is there lawbreakers? Is there lawbreakers? Is there lawbreakers? lawbreakers? The Pharisees weren't enjoying their Sabbath. How could they? They spent the whole time trying to point a finger instead of just relaxing and focusing on God. And, and, and really, they never focused on God on their Sabbaths if they were out trying to accuse somebody of something. Look, what they're doing is not even lawful on the Sabbath. Well, really, the Pharisees didn't even know what they were talking about in this regard because it was completely lawful to do. They were allowed to do it. There are certain ways you couldn't pull out, you couldn't put out a sickle and, and cut the grain. But just to take a little bit off of your hand, completely allowed. So you get to the fourth question, and here's Jesus. And they go in a synagogue, and again, it's on a, it's on a Sabbath. It's like that day where they were in Peter's house. And after Peter, Peter's mother-in-law is healed and the, the sun goes down on the Sabbath and it's the day after by sundown and the, and the crowd comes. It's a, it's like one of those things where they're going to like, well, is this, can this happen? It's on a Sabbath. He enters the center synagogue and a man is there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus. They were watching. And, and this is, I may not completely get why his heart was broken in this moment. But they were watching whether to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Their hearts were so hardened and so bitter toward what Jesus was doing and saying. And I'm not sure that they didn't drag the guy in there. I don't know. Or that they just knew the guy who was in there and he had a either a physical deformity or whatever reason. My my grandmother, I used to call her Granny, um, she'd had two strokes, and uh, her hands were both drawn in. Um, she used to joke with us that she appreciated it because she could grip her fork and her knife a lot better. And she would say that. She had a great sense of humor about it. She'd say, don't make me, don't make me come after you. I've already got my fist ready. You know, she'd, she'd threaten us. She also used to tell, tell us that the, that the switch won't come out of her hand anymore because it's there, you know. But when I think about this, I think about her because I remember seeing those hands because I remember even once I got in high school and college a couple times when we would go with her and we'd go eat somewhere, my, my mother would ask, Hey, can you, can you help her with her fork? And, um, I think of her when I read this passage. Because with the way that her hands were, she couldn't even stretch them out to pick up food. I mean, they were so drawn in, and I think arthritis had something to do with it. That, just like you would for a small child, we'd have to cut up her food for her. I mean, she could use the fork once her fork was in her hand and eat, but she couldn't just pick up something with her hand. And I think about this passage, because obviously this guy had to have some some little bit of help. He had to have some help with him because of the way that that Jesus, the extreme to which Jesus asks the question. This is not just a, a guy with a hand that's pulled in. I, I imagine it's like my grandmother's hands and they're just drawn in tight. 
And he asks the question. While they're all trying to find a way to accuse him, they're missing the point of the Sabbath. Jesus says this. He says to the man, come here in verse 3. And then on verse 4 he said, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? And the people that would accuse him were silent. And he looked around them, and and here's the other instance in Mark where that word anger is used. The word anger is not connected with Jesus very much. And a lot of people, they 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 have a problem with thinking about this, but Jesus could be angry and not sin. He could be brokenhearted. He could be moved. Because those people could have been spending their Sabbath helping this guy, but they were spending their Sabbath looking for a way to accuse someone. They, instead of looking for a way to provide, they were looking for a way to tear down. And it's a very sad situation. And, and I'm thankful that my Bible that I read, the Bible we have, says that Jesus was not only troubled in his heart, but he was grieved. He was brokenhearted toward them because he knew the potential they had. And it's just like toward us. He knows the potential we have to live up to. And he wants us to find it. He wants us to get there, to realize that full potential. And so he looks at the guy, looking around at them. And then he says to the man, stretch out your hand. It says, and he stretched out his hand and it was restored. And it says, the Pharisees, verse 6, went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. He asked a question. They kept asking questions that they wanted answers. He asked them a question that they could not answer. And there's one big idea I read from all this. This why? Why why are you eating with sinners and tax collectors? Why why are you not fasting? Why are you doing what is not lawful? And then Jesus' question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or harm, to, to save a life or to kill? And there's one big idea. Now, there have been a couple of theologians down throughout the years to, to say this in this sort of way. David, if you'd change the slide. Oh, there's the miracle. I'm sorry, we, we didn't go to the miracle. Go to the next one. We already talked about the miracle. They've said this in a couple of different ways. But our religious practices are never more important than human need. I asked, how do you make a grilled cheese sandwich? I could have asked, how do you pray? Because some people might start with this phrase or this word or this idea or doing this. And then they go along. So you may have learned it like in an acronym or you just may just have... You may take the Lord's Prayer as your model and that's what you do, or you may have a different thing. We all, we all pray in different ways. I could say, how do you worship? I remember one time I was picking out songs for worship with somebody and I, I brought up singing a song that was written in the nineties and he, this guy balked at that idea. Like, oh, that's an older song. And I'm like, that's an older song. You want to sing Amazing Grace? Because we have these ideas, and that's funny. To, it's funny now, but at the time, I was like, really, like, I was, it disturbed me. It's like, what is wrong with that song? I love that song. It's a great song. Um, we, we, there's different ways. There's, there's some of us who love hymns, and there's some of us who love praise choruses. 
And there's some of us who choose not to actually even sing. We just take it in. Because that's what we do. And there's some of us who are thankful that you just take it in and that you don't sing. No, no, I'm just kidding. They put my dad in the sound booth. I'm still bitter about it to get him as far away from the choir as possible. Anyways, but we do, the, we, we, we live this faith in a different ways. There's, there's people in this room who probably do fast. They fast and pray. And they, they are disciplined enough to do it. I'm not. I like to eat too much. And not just eat too much. I like to eat too much. I lasted like eight hours on a fast one time. It was, I, I, it's awesome. Um, but we do that. There's some people who, who can do that. Some people who can't. There's some people who, who lead four Bible studies. There's people who lead zero. Because that's according to gifting. It doesn't make somebody a, a stronger, better, greater Christian. That's just what they do. And we've got to be careful. Because sometimes we can, we can put pressure on people if we're not careful as believers to live up to our 39 things you should do or not do rather than really what the Bible says. Because really Jesus nails it when he says, well, he nails it at the beginning when he says, it's not the healthy who need a, phys- a physician, but the sick. And then he closes it out by asking the question, is it, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm? I'm going to say something, and I may get in trouble for saying this, but I'm, I'm going to say this. You know, if you were on your way to church and you saw somebody pulled over on the side of the road and they were having car trouble or they had a flat tire, I think based on what Jesus said right there, it might almost be a better thing for you to pull over and help them change that tire and be late to church than to just sit there and pass along the road and say, well, I hope it gets better. But sometimes we get so focused on how we want to do it and we in that vision gets more narrow and more narrow and more narrow rather than what God really wants us to do. And it's really, really simple. It's to look out for others. Jesus said the whole law and the commandments boils down to two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. With everything that's within you. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's why Jesus is really trying to teach his disciples. And all these people are asking questions. And like most of the stuff in the Gospels, I really believe a lot of times, even though we get the benefit of it, even though sometimes that disciples is the 12, sometimes that disciples is like 500, sometimes it's even more like the feeding of the 5,000, when there's tons of people there. But I really believe he's building up that group of guys and he's trying to get them to realize that don't get caught up. Don't get caught up in thinking that maybe you've got it all figured out and that everybody should be doing what you are doing. So three things I think we can learn from this. Number one is this, David, if you would just go ahead and go to the next one. Don't worry about keeping up with the religious Joneses. I I used to do this a lot. I used to look at guys when I was in Bible college that did all these kind of things and I I was just that guy who I was on one of the traveling teams with the college, but I, I pretty much just went to church and there were other guys that were involved in this ministry and that ministry and they were doing this and they were going all over the place. And I just had my simple stuff that I did. And I used to tear myself up for that. And I just want to tell you right now, don't worry about keeping up with the religious Joneses. 
And when I say religious Joneses, you know, we know the same keeping up with the Joneses trying to do what everybody else is trying to do. You know what? If, if you feel led like you should go to a, a certain Bible study, go to that Bible study. But don't feel like you should have to do one a day because somebody else does. Because that may not be the thing. And honestly, you may not have the time to do that. That person may be retired or that person may have a trust fund that you don't know about. They don't have to work. and They can go to 15 Bible studies a week. That's great. If they want to do that, awesome. That's cool. And at the same time, we've got to remember that sometimes people have to do certain things to keep their faith. They have to make their faith kind of narrow. And and Paul writes about this in, in 1 Corinthians. There are those people who, even if the meat's offered to an idol, they're like... They, they, they just say, no, I can't eat that meat. And, and Paul's like, well, then I just won't eat that meat around them. You know, there's nothing wrong with the meat because that idol's a false god and it's not like it's a real thing at all. So it's just meat that's been cooked, okay? You know, it's just meat. But if that offends somebody, Paul even says, I'll step away and I won't do it. So I won't be a stumbling block to that person. He goes on to say in, in chapter 9 in Corinthians that, so in that way to win people to Jews, I'm a Jew. To the Greeks, I'm a Greek. I, I find a way to do my best to blend in so, so I don't offend anybody, but at the same time, I, I don't want to be pushy with somebody else. I just don't. So don't feel like you, you need to keep up with the Joneses, and, and at the same time, don't push your religious practices onto everyone else. I had somebody one time, and they were talking about fasting. This person said, well, you really need to fast. I, he goes, I just did a five-day fast. And I'm like, Awesome can't it's just not me now now and i've never felt like really to get into that but i'm not knocking it either if that's your thing to do do it not everybody can go out and start a, a non-profit ministry in the name of christ but there are people who do it not everybody and and i'll say this uh, carol there there are, there are some people who are not cut out to be mentors there are and there are some who are definitely cut out to be mentors there are Jean's a great one. She is. I don't know if I've ever read, like, I don't know what student you have, but when I was doing my graduate work, I, always, I used to sit there and wonder, is this one Jean's? You know, I used to wonder that about about those. I pretty much figured out Brad's. I'll tell you all later. Um, but I would read, I would read like reviews on the kids and how they're doing, you know, and I would wonder, like, this, this kid, and this, 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 that. I'd be wondering, I wonder if that's Jean's, you know. I, I would do that. But there's some people who are cut out to be a mentor, and there's some people that are not. They just... They may not have patience with kids, and that may not be their thing, but that doesn't make them any less of a believer if they don't. And Carol understands that. There's probably some people she's very thankful that they're not mentors. Um, but that's how it is. And there's some people who just, they get up and, and maybe they read their Bible. Maybe they just read it for an hour a day. And then there's some of us who are scatterbrained that we have to read it in bits and chunks and they read maybe this devotion thing in the morning and they maybe read a psalm in the afternoon and then in the evening they go, hey, you know, I was reading this the other day and go back and read that. Maybe they can't concentrate long enough to get that full hour in uh, one, one thing at a time, but they, they still get it. We need to be careful sometimes not to, to push onto people what they should or should not do. Now the Bible is pretty clear. I'm not talking about letting people just live amoral all over the place. But sometimes we get a little bit more religious than God. And we come up with things that are a little bit tighter standard than He has. And 
And Jesus warned the Pharisees of doing that. He says, you'll travel distances. You'll travel distances to proselyte somebody and you'll turn him in to somebody like you, which is like a son. And this is a strong word. He says, like a son of hell. Like a, a, you, you turn somebody else into what you are and it's not even what God wants them to be and you're doing it in the name of God. And he's saying, guys, stop it. Stop it. So we got to be careful with that. Now, here comes the best part. Third one. Enjoy this life. Enjoy this life. If you're not feeling the full freedom of Christ, there's something, there's something you're doing wrong because this is meant to be a life that's full of joy. Now, there are moments that are tough. Definitely are. There are moments that are hard to get through and sometimes those moments become days and weeks and months and even years. But this is something we're meant to enjoy. This is something that even in the hard moments we're meant to say, it is well with my soul. It may be tough to climb that mountain or to, to take that hillside that we're going over to swim through that sea where it feels like the waves are just crashing on you. It may feel like your head can never get above water. But at the same time, there's such a sweet peace in knowing that you're not alone and that you can make it through it. It's why in moments as believers, when, when our world can be crashing down, we can still smile and say, it's well with my soul. We can still smile and say, I'm at peace. Even when it feels like everybody is, is against us, we can remember the words that Paul wrote, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that's really what Jesus was, I believe, getting a point with when he was talking about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to get across. Like, guys, listen, you're not doing God any favors. Really, you need to take a step back and take favor in God because he gave you this as a gift. This is your chance of a day to focus on him and to do good. So I'm going to give you full permission today. Have a Sabbath. Have one. Focus your day upon Him. And you may do that in different ways. You may be like Jean. Jean may go outside and work on some of her plants because she goes out in her garden and, and she sees God. I know she does. You may spend the day laughing and giggling with the kids or doing good by fixing your wife's window on her car. You know, that's what it is, Joe. To do good or to do harm. Just remember that, all right? Help him with maybe a little bit of yard work later on, Mitchell boys. I don't know. You may just go for a walk. Like I know my neighbors do. Or like some of you are already asleep. You may just sleep most of the afternoon. You may yell at the TV. No, don't yell at the TV. Um, but you know what? You may just have that that clock, like my clock is set, whether I'm going to be outside doing a little bit of yard work that we need to do or or whether I'm going to be able to be in front of the TV, I'm going to put a football game on in my headphones or watch it with my eyes and enjoy it and take a day off knowing that God provides on the Sabbath. And that's the big idea. We should really instead of focusing on ourselves, take this day to realize it's for us, but about Him and focus upon Him. 
It starts off with by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But then it continues on into a joyous life that we're meant to take a big deep breath. So I want to ask everybody to do something real quick. Take a big deep breath. Realize you make your grilled cheese completely different from everybody else. Jenny. All right. Um, yeah, you, you let the breath out. It's a big deep breath. You're, that was implied, Gene. Okay. But enjoy this day. Laugh. Pray. Be thankful for what God's given you. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the joy we find in it. Jesus, I, th- I just, I just want to thank you for being so bluntly truthful and honest. I thank you for lining up things for me in this passage. Because I struggle with some of the things on both sides of this issue. Ultimately, Lord, you're wanting us to walk with the grace that you walked with. So, Lord, I, I plead for that. That if somebody may dress a little bit different for church than we do, that we say, that's okay. At least they're here. That if somebody may study a different book of the Bible than we're studying, that that's okay. They're, they're, they're doing what they're doing. We, we can have so many different ways that we get wrapped up in this thing that we think that everybody should do it our way rather than Really, Lord, we should just say, God, how do we do this? What, what, what's the next step I should take? Thankful for your word, as we find in Philippians 2.12, where it says, let us each work out our salvation in fear and trembling, humbly before you. So, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to remember your example, Jesus, as you walked among us. How you were able to navigate this world, even the difficulty that arose, the opposition that arose, and you never sinned. And I'm so thankful that we have your example. Help us to follow it. Help us to learn from it. Help us to abide in you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.